Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The NFL Draft is now officially open. This is draft season. John Schmelk, Tony Pauline back with you. And we're happy to be joined by a special guest this week, Trevor Sikama. You know him from our coverage here on the Giants Huddle Podcast. Does a great job covering the draft for Pro Football Focus. You can find them on the NFL Stock Exchange Podcast and the PFF NFL Podcast. Trev, I know this is kind of a tough time of year. We're kind of in-depth NFL and college. Do you yeah. have the energy for another two months or so of this? Of course I do. This is what it's all about, baby. This is the uh, this is the holiday grind, if you will. That time that you get right past uh, Halloween and then all the way through the New Year's, man. You're just pedal to the metal trying to take in as much information as you can, get those final rechecks before you get into all-star season. So it's a beautiful time of year. Yeah, and we, and we all got a little bit of a holiday gift this past week. The NFL announcing that underclassmen that are not graduating, so true juniors, redshirt sophomores, you name it, any college player that's eligible for the draft can now attend these college all-star games. Tony, let's start with you. I know you're in contact with a lot of agents, scouts, teams. How does this impact the process? How many of these juniors even want to go to these games that are going to be high picks? How do you think this changes what that atmosphere is going to be like in January for the Shrine Bowl and the Senior Bowl? I think what's going to happen is, first of all, you know, a little revisionist history, if you will. It would give me a minute or two. You go back to like 1993, where there was a guy by the name of Dave T. Thomas, who was a very eccentric personality. He the founder of Wendy's? No. Uh, no <laughs> he actually used to do the uh, the draft guides for the NFL draft back in the day when they were like uh, six inches thick. Anyway, he, he ran the Hula Bowl when the Hula Bowl was actually in Honolulu, Hawaii, and played at the Aloha Bowl. And in 1993... He was the first one to start to invite underclassmen to the Hula Bowl. And back then, the NFL was so adverse against underclassmen entering the NFL draft. They didn't want to seem like they were advocating it. So when when, uh, Dave T. Thomas started inviting the underclassmen to the Hula Bowl right around 1993, NFL teams didn't go to the game. They didn't go to practices. They sent no representatives, which I'm sure... A lot of the scouts were very upset. Get a nice week's vacation at, uh, in Honolulu, Hawaii to, to scout the Hula Bowl. And then 20 years later, you know, uh, Jim Nagy started where he would allow fourth-year juniors or academic seniors to play in the Senior Bowl. And here we are 10 years after that, and now all underclassmen or any underclassmen that declares themselves eligible for the draft is now allowed to play in the Senior Bowl, the Shrine Game, the Hula Bowl, which is now played in Florida, we're down one game because the NFL PA game was canceled. I don't think it's going to affect it that much. You've got to remember the initial invitations, the first year invitations for the Senior Bowl and Shrine Bowl have already gone out. 
those second tier invitations are going to go out in December. And the underclassmen have until January 15th to make their decision as to whether or not they're going to enter the draft. So I think what will happen is you're probably going to have about a half a dozen or so spots that Jim Nagy and Eric Galco, uh, Jim Nagy of the, Shrine, of the Senior Bowl and Eric Galco of the Shrine Bowl, save for the juniors. And what will happen is the top juniors are not going to you know, go to those games because the top juniors are going to be first-round picks. And first-round picks rarely play in those games these days, the Senior Bowl these days, which is a shame. What you may have, What may happen is those uh, invitations will go out to juniors at certain positions, offensive tackle, cornerback, play, uh, positions like that. And if those juniors don't accept those invitations, you'll then have third tier seniors who are invited to the game. So, I mean, most of those, most of the roster, and if you remember, John, we spoke with Jim uh, Nagy last year, uh, past couple of years, and he talked about how with the NIL, with the six year of, of eligibility being given, sometimes it's tough to fill that roster. So now, you know, you've got to have most of that roster in place and you may not know which underclassmen are yet to declare. I mean, guys that are going to be outside the top 75. Yeah. And Trev, for guys like us who don't get to go to college practices and stuff, obviously NFL teams get close up looks at these guys. Anyone that we can just get eyes on in person at these games is going to be beneficial. And it's going to, frankly, push more talent at least starting next year with since the invitations are out this year, maybe not so much this year, it'll push right. more talent down, down the line a little bit where now the shrine bowl is maybe going to get 15 guys that otherwise would have been at the senior bowl. Yeah. I think, you know, first and foremost, it feels like it's a, um, it feels like it's a media and a hype decision anyways. Like we're seeing the NFL and just NFL media really want to monetize both of the top two games. I would say the senior bowl and, and the shrine bowl for Shocking. sure. They're, they're wanting to get more people to watch the coverage, not just of the game itself, but during the practices. And you can see like on the NFL network, they've been pushing over the last couple of years, like football is 365. And so this to me is a big movement towards that, where you know, if, if you, I agree with Tony, like, I don't, I don't know how many juniors they're getting this year because of the process, but like in future years, maybe it's a little different, right? Baker Mayfield went to the senior bowl. Josh Allen went to the senior bowl. So you never know. Some of these huge name players might end up going that are juniors. And that only gets more people interested. It gets more people to watch the shows and the coverage and all that kinds of stuff. Uh, and so that's kind of why I felt like the move was made because they're trying to just make it more of a national notable time of the year for the football calendar. But, you know, I can't help but think, you know, I wonder about guys like like Tyson Bajan, right? Tyson Bajan goes to the Senior Bowl. Good chance nobody would have even known who Tyson Bajan was throughout the entire draft process had he not gone to the Senior Bowl. Well, if if a true underclassmen are allowed to go to the game and you're trying to get as much hype and notoriety as the game that you possibly can, maybe a guy like Tyson Bajan doesn't get an invite. You know, I think about like Tariq Woolen as well, you know, and it's like he's a he ended up being a fifth round pick, but he really showed his stuff for the senior bowl. Does a guy like that get invited? And Quinn Miners, like, right? Another guy. Yeah. And so yeah. I just I think of those players as like, even if we're only getting a handful of true underclassmen that come in there, are there those true like draft gems? Do we get less of those? And I'm not saying that that's like good or bad for the game or anything it's just something that now with the pool of players a lot more vast and with some more notable names now qualifying to play at these events you're naturally going to want to invite the guys that are going to get people to come to the game going to get people to want to watch and uh i wonder how it affects uh some of those like 
last invite players, if you will. Well, you know, the interesting thing is, does the senior bowl still call itself the senior bowl? Because right, you know, it used right. to be a, a reward for seniors, uh, you know, academic seniors when, when Navy was there. And, and you're right. I, I mean, you know, it'll be interesting because, you know, as we all know, going to the senior bowl, there's always an SEC sort of flavor there. So does Navy start to invite some of the SEC underclassmen who have declared, you know, are, are, are ready to play. So that'll be an interesting thing to see. But I, I don't like the decision personally, because I think especially with the senior bowl, it's, you know, as Trevor was saying, it's so, it's a reward for these guys who have stuck yeah. out, who, who have finished their eligibility, who are ready to go to the next level. Uh, so it'll be interesting. I don't think it's really going to, it's not going to have a major impact, but yeah, you're going to have those, those fringe, you know, second tier, third tier seniors that could lose out uh, those final spots because underclassmen are getting those positions. It was a very busy weekend in college football. Let's go there. Trev, I'll let you lead off here. Pick out one game that you want to touch on that maybe some of the guys that may have stuck out to you this week that, that you thought a game was particularly consequential. Okay, so from this past game, not a, yep. not one that's coming up. Yeah, past week. Okay. All right. Let me let me let me check. I gotta I gotta remind myself of some of the big games because I can't uh, I can't forget one. Oh, oh, I have to start with Jaden Daniels. I have to start with the LSU quarterback, Jaden Daniels, because of what he did against my Florida Gators. I made sure to pay attention to that one and uh it wasn't pretty. But Jaden's been awesome, man. I mean, even going back to his time at Arizona State, you've got what he did at Arizona State where he felt like he was just basically like a big armed, but more of a running quarterback. Like a lot of people weren't really taking his pocket presence very seriously when he was at Arizona state, he goes over to LSU and last year I definitely took notice. And I don't know a lot of other people did as well, how low the turnover worthy plays were for him. He was making sure I need to take care of this ball a lot more. And you could tell he worked on that last year, this year, he's taking those fundamental skills that he was able to hone in on the year before and now we're seeing crazy passing numbers. I mean, the big time throws are way up for him. The yards, both passing and rushing. Yeah. This guy, to me, should be the front runner for the Heisman right now. And because of that, I think he's putting his name firmly into that this conversation for QB3 in this class. Because a lot of people, yeah, it's Drake May and Caleb Williams at the very top. But there's a handful of other names. Shadur Sanders, Bo Nix, Michael Penix, J.J. McCarthy, Jaden Daniels is putting his name within that conversation to be potentially that third quarterback off the board. So that is the game to me that definitely stood out um, because of just the overall offensive potential this guy brings to the table. And he put it on display this past weekend. And Tony, I know you've, you've talked a lot about the LSU wide receivers and how they're going to be impacted by Daniels. Trevor mentioned it. Daniels, I think has, I know he is the most 20 plus yard plays in all of college football. I think he almost has 20 more than a guy like the next best guy in Penix and Caleb Williams. And we're seeing now, not just neighbors, now his other wide receiver and Thomas is making some big plays too out there. Well, as we talked about last week, I think the thing with Jay Daniels is he's becoming more and more of a quarterback, you know, just mm -hmm. more and more of a passer, not a thrower, making good decisions, protecting the football. You know, there, there has been a lot of inconsistency in his game previous to this. You know, you look at the 2022 film, you know, beginning of the season, you, you're wondering what's going on. Then all of a sudden he pulls it together at the end of the season. They beat Alabama uh, in double overtime. He makes some great decisions. He made some great decisions in the game prior to this to this uh, past one. Let's see how he how he, uh, he does as the season ends. The arrow is pointing up, and, you know, it's ironic. We're talking about the Senior Bowl and the Shrine game because Jaden Daniels is the kind of guy that, as I've said time and time again, 
the the senior bowl is a kingmaker at the quarterback position. We can go through the history and see guys who came in as fringe first round picks, you know, day two picks and just vaulted up draft boards. That is the sort of situation or the sort of opportunity that I would expect Jaden Daniels uh, to have come the end of January. If he continued, well, you probably get the invitation anyway, but you want to see him continue to play at this high level and protect the football and continue to make uh, good decisions. Uh, I watched it, you know, the Penn State-Michigan game was a very interesting game for a variety of reasons, you know, starting with Jim Harbaugh being uh, unable to even be in the stadium. But I thought the offensive lines in that game really played incredibly well. Zach Zinter of Michigan, Trevor Keegan uh, of Michigan played exceptionally well. Drake Nugent, the, uh, the the center, the transfer from Stanford, who no one talks about, I thought he played exceptionally well against a very good Penn State front. I think when you look at uh, the Penn State offensive line, you know, we know Fasciano, Sal Wormley, but Hunter Norzad, the uh, transfer from uh, Cornell, who's been there for two years, thought he played really, really well, neutralized Chris Jenkins. Uh, most of the game, uh, Chris Jenkins really was a non-factor because of Hunter Norzad, really liked the offensive line play on both sides in that Penn State-Michigan game. You know, Trevor, I, it's I, funny. We were all excited. Sorry for interrupting that. Oh, we're going to see J.J. McCarthy against this really good defense. See what he does. <laughs> he throws it eight times. I mean, come on. We got yeah. nothing out of that. Yeah, unfortunately, that was uh, – we didn't really learn anything from J.J. McCarthy that day. I, I thought it was much more of a, a game where, like Tony said, yeah, I think – both of the offensive lines, I think, played really well. To me, that was Fashano's best game, and he kind of needed it because we've talked all year long. I feel like going into the season, it was like, man, yes, Olu Fashano, one of the best, smoothest pass protectors that we've seen in a long time. Yeah. But the strength aspect of his game, he wasn't this people mover. And for his size, you would think that he would be a little bit more effective in run blocking and, and the strength portion of his game, the point of attack. And we really had not seen that. In fact, when Penn State played against Ohio State, the couple of times that he got got, if you will, it was JT Tui Maloau just hitting the long arm and just bull rushing him, you know, just straight back into the pocket of um, of Drew Aller. And so that was a game where you went, man, okay, this would have been a good test for your strength that he really didn't show up for. I felt like this past weekend against Michigan, he showed a lot more of that. He played with the nasty streak. I don't know if somebody did the John Henderson pregame slap of the face to him before he went out there or what <laughs> what, what it was, but whatever it is, they need to do that uh, more often because I thought that he played with a fire this past weekend. So it was Fashano's best game too. Tony, I know you also had an eye in the Miami-Florida State game this weekend, right? It was a good game. It was an excellent game. And, and, you know, Leonard Taylor, I thought, played very well. He didn't have eye-popping numbers. But when you watch Leonard Taylor, the uh, defensive lineman from Miami, very explosive, very athletic, incredibly quick, penetrates the gaps, can change direction. He's got to get a little bit bigger. He's got to get a little bit stronger. I think he's probably going to enter the draft, even though he's going to need to add bulk to his frame. But there's a lot to like there with Leonard Taylor. I don't see him as a first-round pick, as a lot of people are talking about. But you can see the explosion. You can see the underlying ability to be a big-time player if he continues to develop and just physically matures. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't I don't really know if there's going to be another first-round pick interior defensive lineman outside of Jerzon Newton from Illinois. Uh, I feel like if you would have asked me at the beginning of the season who has that chance to be another interior defensive lineman, I would have told you Leonard Taylor just because – the pass rush grade the, the year before and the pass rush win percentage. I mean, all of those numbers are really high and you can see it. I mean, Tony mentions it. 
he moves so well for a player who plays on the interior. And, and you see a lot of that in his pass rush. But when it comes to run defense, he's a little undisciplined. He can get out of his gaps. He can kind of get pushed around. Like the offensive line can kind of manipulate him in certain ways where he's totally running himself out of the play. And it's really hurting his team um, as Florida State was able to exploit a couple of times in that game. So a lot of talent with Taylor, but I agree. I don't think that he is. Man, for as much potential as he has, I don't know if he's the finished product enough that you would need to see to take him maybe back into the first round just because his pass rushing is so alluring. But yeah, it, it, it's probably something that he's going to be more of a priority day two pick. Greg, sticking on the game real quick. Where are you on Keon Coleman? I know a lot of people have him as wide receiver too. Tony and I are not as high on him as some other people are. I don't see that separation skill. I much prefer Malik Neighbors, for example. Where are you on Keon Coleman? He had a pretty quiet game against Miami, just four catches. I, I, I like Keon Coleman. He's got some of the best big moments at the receiver position that we've seen over the course of this season, but there's no doubt about it. The consistent production certainly favors Malik neighbors, Romo Dunze from Washington. And I, ha I have both of those guys ahead of Coleman. I've got Coleman as wide receiver four for me right now. And I think a lot of people talk about that group after Marvin Harrison jr. And to me, the next guy on that list is very easily Malik neighbors to me. I, I think that just the way that that dude moves is so different. You may, you mentioned the separation that, sometimes is eluding Coleman's game for as great as he is as an athlete. He, I think he brings a lot of top tier athleticism at six foot three, 220, 215 pounds to the catch point. We've seen that time and time again, but it's the separation before you get the ball that I think both Odunze and certainly Malik neighbors are better at. That is just such a valuable translatable skill to the next level. So still have Coleman in my top five wide receivers, but he would be wide receiver four for me behind uh, those two guys. And then, of course, Marvin Harrison Jr. too. I want to throw Franklin from Oregon into the mix too, by the way. That guy has speed and size, and I think this is going to be a really deep wide receiver class. Tony, one of the game I know you wanted to touch on, and then I'll go to the other Pac-12 game with you, Trevor. Utah-Washington, Tony, what kind of jumped out to you there? Every week it seems like Washington puts up 40 on somebody. It's amazing. You know, I, I, I know this is not going to be a popular thought, but just the inconsistency of Michael Penix. I mean, he came through for him, and, you know, everybody thought Washington won the game. But at one point in time, he you know he's thrown for less than fifty percent uh, passes. There, there's just a streakiness to Michael Penix's game. Great story, great vertical passer, great deep arm, makes some huge throws. But there's just a streakiness and an inconsistency within games that really concern me about Michael Penix. And again, you talk about Jaden Daniels. Well, Daniels has seemed to kind of figure that out and, and be productive for all four quarters. Penix disappears. Uh, that is a major concern. I know there's a lot of love for him. People watch the highlights. People watch the big uh, plays down the field to McMillan and Dunze. There's just that up and down within the four quarters of a game with Penix that kind of concerns me. He won. They're still in the hunt for the national title. I mean, people are still going to be talking about Penix. Uh, but, but I think there's a lot there to be ironed out for Michael Penix. Yeah, Penix, uh, he... Like you said, he's got some of the best top tier throws of, of any quarterback in college football, but ball placement is definitely something that has grown into an issue with him as the season has gone on, especially when you talk about him in that QB three conversation. And, you know, I find myself believing in Penix because when I watch him and some of the ball placement issues that he has, his, his, both his throwing motion and his footwork is not as clean as it can be right now. And so I, sometimes I convinced myself that, okay, well, if you marry that up a little more, does the ball placement get better? But sometimes touch is just something that's tough to teach. Sometimes 
touch is impossible to teach for certain quarterbacks. And for Penix, he is a flamethrower type of a quarterback. You know, when he is throwing fastball, it's a lot like J.J. McCarthy is right now. When J.J. McCarthy and Michael Penix are throwing fastball, when they're throwing gas, those dudes can really put the football in a beautiful spot. But when you've got to put a certain amount of touch onto it, I think that's when both of those guys struggle a little bit. And so, yeah, Penix has some incredibly big throws, but the consistencies and, of course, the injury history as well, as well as his age, are going to be something that a lot of people talk about throughout this season. And Trev, I want to go to the other Pac-12 game that started. A lot of people on the East Coast probably didn't watch it because the game started around 10.30 at night. Mm-hmm. I got through about three and a half quarters and I passed out on my couch. I watched the rest of it the next day. Uh, but again, USC outmatched from a team perspective by Oregon. Obviously, just a, a much better team, much more talented. And Caleb Williams was just 19-34. to 34. He had a bad fumble in the game. Had yeah. to try to play hero ball. But again, it's because he has to play hero ball for his team to have a chance. And there were still some plays in that game out of structure, throws on the move down the field where you're, oh my gosh, like there is no other person in the world that's probably not named Josh Allen or or Patrick Mahomes that can make those type of athletic throws on the move with touch accurately down the field to receivers on, on the move. And I, I just can't get away from those plays when I try to have that, you know, top two quarterback conversation in my head. No, and and you're right. He is he is so supremely talented, but there's no question about it. He's just he's got to get better within structure. Like the wow yeah. stuff, it, it it it's incredible. He does things that nobody else in this quarterback class can. And in fact, there are very few quarterbacks I think on the planet who can do what Caleb Williams do, what does. But you know, I was watching uh, a clip that somebody had posted on social media actually earlier today, and it was a beautiful Caleb Williams throw to the sideline where. He hit it pinpoint accurately, absolutely perfect, over the shoulder, right over the defender. It was within the pocket. It was within the first two and a half seconds, I think three seconds maybe, of the snap. And you go, wow, look at that. And then you kind of watch it more and more because it was from the all-22 angle. And the feet just stopped moving. You know, like he's the, the the footwork just absolutely stops. His upper body mechanics are overcoming him not moving his feet, and yet the ball still went exactly where it needed to go, exactly when it needed to go there. And so it is what makes Caleb Williams the most fascinating and frustrating prospect in this entire class because his gifts are better than any player that's going to be in this class. But it's just it's so worrisome because there's not a lot of people who do it like he does, including in the NFL. Yeah, And I think that that is both his biggest you know, attraction and also his biggest detractor is there are just not many examples because a lot of people have tried, right? A lot of people try to do what Caleb Williams has been able to do at USC at the NFL level, and it does not work. So when you can only name one or two players who play that kind of style and actually make it work, of course, you're talking about the top tier guys, but I think people also have to think about the players that it did not work out at. And that's, you know, what every team is going to have to go through this off season. Yeah. So Tony, You've been through this. You've been doing this much longer than Trevor and I. Put me in. Put us in the shoes of these NFL scouts. Are they just going to look at the tools and say, "We get him with our coaches. We'll fix some of that. We'll fix the footwork. We'll fix the ball protection and and some of that stuff." And they're going to say, "We see the high end stuff, and we can fix the rest." How do you think the league will view him? Uh, you know, because remember, it's not much different when Patrick Mahomes was at Texas Tech. He was a mess. Like he was, he was a legitimate mess. And Andy Reid fixed him. And now we see maybe a guy that couldn't end up being a top three quarterback in the history of the league. So how do you think the scouts will, will view Williams in kind of that lens? 
Well, it's not going to be one 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 opinion fits all. It's not going to be one size fits all. But I'll go back to you know talk about Patrick Mahomes. I remember when Philip Rivers was at the Senior Bowl, and I'm standing behind a couple of New York Giant scouts, and Philip Rivers had a, a hideous delivery. I mean, it was the ugliest thing in the world. <laughs> and the Giant scouts said, "You know what? You may not like the delivery, but look at the end result." And the end result was precise accuracy, putting the ball where only his receiver can make the reception. So sometimes. You know, you may try if you try and change some things, you may ruin the quarterback. I, I think there's going to be I think there will be some people who try and work on some of the some of the mechanics, some of the fundamentals. But they'll be able to say, say, look, this this kid, since he was a freshman, since he took over at Oklahoma as a true freshman, has been doing this and doing it incredibly well. And now you're at USC, where he's basically carrying that team, that offense on his shoulders. I think the, the people who go out there and, and just say, hey, let him play. We'll maybe we'll fix a few things. I don't think it's going to be a big overall. I think what's going to happen is, you know, as we get closer to the draft, People are going to, you know, use this as a talking point to talk down about Caleb Williams, uh, and there will be some teams that don't like his mechanics. But again, you know, I go back to that story of Philip Rivers. It was a hideous throwing motion, but the end result is what matters. And the end result was the ball was consistently put in a place where only his receiver can make the reception. It's November, and I'm already tired about the discussion. To be honest with you, which, which is a problem because we got five months <laughs> before the draft, so <laughs> we'll see where this winds up. All right. We, we came here to do cornerback rankings and defensive back stuff. We had so much other stuff to talk about. Great conversation. Let's get to corners. Tony, let's start with the two guys on top of your rankings. Two Alabama players, Kool-Aid McKinstry and Terion Arnold. And, you know, I watched McKinstry in the offseason. I was impressed. I had a I figured first-round pick. Got to be honest, Terion Arnold's not that far off from him. Yeah. I love his physicality. He tackles. He doesn't let guys run by him. Why are these two guys your top guys? How much is separating them? And, and what do you like about them? Well, McKinstry's my number one guy. I mean, he's physical, he's feisty, he does a great job making plays with his back to the ball consistently, doesn't have too many mental lapses. Arnold, I think, has really, really stepped it up this year. I think Arnold has benefited from the fact that teams usually don't like to throw McKinstry's way. They throw his in his right. direction. So uh, he gets to make plays on the ball, and he's doing a great job of it. And, you know, Arnold's not talked about too much in Twitter draft world, but you talk to scouts, you talk to people in the league uh, decision makers who watch him and they absolutely love this guy. I, I think I don't know he's going to be a first round pick. I have him as a second rounder right now. I do think McKistry is right now the number one corner. I think he's going to be a first round pick. He could be an early first round selection because of, of the importance of the position and cornerbacks always go much earlier than it, it originally anticipated. Uh, I have not heard whether Arnold's going to enter the draft. You, you, uh, Alabama usually loses a lot of uh, underclassmen. McKistry is a little bit longer than Arnold. He's a little bit bigger than Arnold, a little bit more physical. But they both have excellent ball skills. So they've got good ball skills for where they are in their career. They both have terrific upside. And they come from a program that has consistently put good cornerbacks into the NFL. I, both the, I, I think both these players are fantastic. And um, Arnold wasn't really on my radar going into the year just because of how inexperienced he was at that point. So I didn't know if we were talking about a guy who was going to go out in the draft this past year. Definitely watch McKinstry. And I like McKinstry a lot. I mean, he's just got the thing that I love about Kool-Aid McKinstry is certainly he plays for Alabama's defensive scheme, which asks you to do, you got to be a smart corner. You really do. Like there's a lot of different principles that you got to understand a lot of man match stuff that you've got to understand, but also 
a Saban defense will require you to play press coverage a decent amount. And for Kool-Aid McKinstry, he has played in press more than half of his coverage snaps in his career, which is a big deal. This guy is so yeah. comfortable playing with his back to the ball. And we all talk about, okay, there's a lot of defensive coordinators that love to get aggressive. And in order to get aggressive, when I say that, I mean, of course, sending extra players on the blitz, getting more pressure on the pocket, you've got to be able to play man coverage. And the best way to do that is to play press man, right? You don't give any guys any space. You're able to keep up with them for the, at least three seconds down the field. You can only do that if you are very comfortable playing with your back to the ball because some corners are not. Some corners panic, and you see a lot of those guys who may have man coverage skills, but if they're uncomfortable with their back to the ball, if they're uncomfortable reading the eyes or the hands or the body language of the receiver, you see a lot of penalties. You you see a lot of allowed receptions, things like that. McKinstry's not that way. He's so calm when he is playing press coverage and with his back to the ball. He's got a ton of forced incompletions because of it. He's got a very low uh, completion percentage allowed overall. Arnold, to me, the reason why I I think you're going to see people start to say they maybe like Arnold more than McKinstry, but it's because Arnold has a little bit more of that quick twitch athleticism and people believe that he has more of a ball hawking nature to him where McKinstry to me is just this shutdown corner type where you tell him, okay, go guard their best receiver today and don't let him catch the ball. You might not get an interception, but you're going to get a handful of passes defended for Arnold. He might be more of an interception type of a player, but I do think that it's a little bit of a sacrifice. I think he's also going to allow more receptions than a guy like Kool-Aid McKinstry would be. So these are two very talented corners. I agree with Tony. I think that they're both top 50 worthy for sure, but I would agree. I've got McKinstry above Arnold at this point. And they've actually started using Arnold in the slot a little bit the last few weeks too. They've used him inside. So that's a little versatility while McKinstry has pretty much been their outside right cornerback pretty much for the uh, majority of the year. Third guy on your list, Tony is Nate Wiggins out of Clemson and watching him the last couple of days, I think pure coverage-wise and movement skill-wise, he might actually be my favorite corner in this group. He's long, he's slender, he, he changes directions extremely well, and you just don't... Everything looks everything looks so smooth when he's running. He just never seems strained out there to me. Physical, it does a great job covering receivers on crossing patterns, works to get his head back around to track the pass in the air, will just physically beat down opponents uh, to defend throws, relatively talented Clemson back uh, the secondary as it usually is uh, right now. I've got him as a second round choice. I thought he played well in 2022. I think he's playing even better this year. A guy who, uh, again, the, 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 uh, the, the, it, the arrow is pointing North on him. I like his upside with, with guys like a third year juniors, uh, se- a third year sophomores, even fourth year juniors at the cornerback position in the secondary. You want to see what they run in the 40. The testing numbers are relatively important for these guys. But Wiggins continually answers the call. He's been a good player for a couple of seasons now at Clemson. Yeah, I I mentioned McKinstry being a player that you could say, hey, go guard the other team's wide receiver. But, John, I, I agree with you. I think if there is a player in this class that you would have the most confidence in saying, that's their number one wide receiver, don't let him catch the football, it's probably Nate Wiggins, even for as much as I like McKinstry, because because Wiggins has a little bit more length to him. He's got a little bit more twitch to him. Um, I, I think that he struggled to play with strength in run defense and a little bit at the catch point, not as much as the catch point, but certainly in run defense last year, since he has come back from injury this year, I feel like he is playing even stronger. Like he is 
clearly not backing down from those physical press coverage assignments where he is right at the line of scrimmage. He's trying to get in guys' faces during the contact window. He is more um, he's more aggressive when it comes to that that uh, that contact at the catch point as well. And he's got great ball skills. He had three dropped interceptions last year, which would have bumped his numbers up to I think four or five interceptions, along with double digit forced incompletions. So this is a player that there's no question about it, John. If you want to have him at cornerback one, I don't think a lot of people are going to fight you on it because I imagine when it's all said and done, I think I, I went to Tony's point. I think that Wiggins is going to test pretty well. I think he's going to test pretty athletically. And once that happens as well, you're going to see a lot of people say, and maybe even myself included say, okay, this is the guy that you probably want to take the highest pick on. So you're going to hear him in the CB one conversation over the next couple of months, for sure. Tony Kalen King is your fourth corner. I watched him in the off season. I loved what I saw on his tape last year. I thought he was athletic. I thought he was physical. He got downhill. I thought as a pure athlete, he was wonderful. Then I put on his tape from this year. And, I, and, and I'm going to pull one of uh, Trevor's PFF numbers. One forced incompletion all year. And that is not because they're not throwing at Kalen King. He's been targeted a ton. And he just, frankly, guys are open on him a, a lot. And I thought he was a potential first-round pick coming into the year. Now I have him as maybe an early third-rounder, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, never had him as a first-rounder. Got hammered by Marvin Harrison. I mean, he's got schooled by Marvin Harrison when Penn State played Ohio State. And it wasn't just Marvin Harrison. The other receivers got him, too, in that game. And the thing is, you know, as Trevor and I were talking about before, you want those cornerbacks who can make plays with the back to the, their, their back to the ball. Kalen King seems to struggle. He does a lot of face guarding. He's very slow getting his head back around a track yeah. and passing the air. Doesn't do a good job, uh, you know, positioning himself against opponents to make plays when the ball's in the air. Now, as I texted you before, I think that Kalen King in the outside world is overrated, where I think his, his uh, teammate, Johnny Dixon, the other cornerback, is actually underrated. I don't think he's going to be an early pick, Johnny Dixon, but I think he's played uh, exceptionally well. I, I think there were high expectations, probably too high expectations for Kalen King, which he was never going to meet this year because he was never that kind of that type of cornerback, at least to me. Yeah, man, King – has really struggled this year. There's no doubt about it. Now the cornerback position is very cyclical, right? I, I mean, I think of guys, even at the NFL level, like AJ Terrell, AJ Terrell had an unbelievable season, I believe it was his rookie year in the NFL. And then that sophomore year, I mean, it was just off a cliff. I mean, his, his grades, the production against them, the catches allowed and you go, wow, Jekyll and Hyde here. Now AJ Terrell is back to playing really good ball. So that could certainly just be the case with corner because it's a difficult position to play, but you look at last year, 2022, Kalen King had a 93.7 coverage grade in just single coverage in our system, which to, to earn a elite coverage grade anyways is very, very difficult. This dude had a 93.7 just in single coverage situations. I'm lining up against the receiver and I'm not letting him catch the football. This year, 42.7, like off a clip, a full 50 Coverage grade points lower this year than it was last year. You mentioned the lack of ball production as well. I had a lot of high hopes for this guy because he moved so yeah, same here. well last year. And, and it's just like he just does not have the confidence to be able to do that. I agree. He looks very hesitant and uncomfortable with his back to the ball. I, I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr. got across his face with ease to the point where this guy was like stumbling in coverage against him. And Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best receiver in college football. But like, you're you got to do better than that. You know, if you're going to be a first round projected corner, you got to be a lot better than that. You got to take your your reps against him as well. And he just absolutely did not. So I'm uh, I currently have King 
I think still in my top five of corners, but I got a bad feeling that when I go over my final rechecks, when the regular season is over, I'm not so sure he's going to make it into my top fives. All right, Tony, let's go to the next two guys on your list. You like Josh Newton out of TCU, a guy that has not gotten a lot of attention, and Kamari Lassiter out of Georgia. Yeah, I mean, Newton's well-liked in the scouting community. He's the guy who came into the season with second-round grades, uh, consistent second-round grades. He's a good corner guy, not the biggest guy in the world. He's not going to measure six foot tall, but he's fast. He plays smart football. He does a decent job making plays with his back to the ball. Lassiter, I think, is just another real good cornerback that's going to come out of Georgia. He's got excellent size. He's physical. He's very explosive, really mixes it up with the uh, uh, receivers throughout the route very well. I think he's got a high upside. I think Lassiter is a guy who probably has better upside than Newton when you compare the two, but Newton's a little bit more polished at this point. I worry about Lassiter's change of direction a little bit, Trev. Sometimes if he's like in a straight line on the perimeter, he's good. I've seen some guys put some double moves on him, and there's been some problems with those. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that was a question for Lassiter kind of going into the season is, you know, what are you going to be now that like you're the guy, right? I mean, Keely Ringo for as much as, okay, he was, he only ended up being a fourth round pick, but we talked about Keely Ringo as, as CB1 with Georgia and in a scheme. So then it was, now it was Lassiter. Like he he was the guy in the secondary to really command a lot of wide receiver one attention. So I, I think that he has done well, but he is somebody to me that wins not that he's not a good athlete, but he wins more with the strength part of his game. Like he is a fearless type of a player. He will disrupt the catch point. He will come up and run defense. If you want a good game to watch, to be able to see that, go watch the early game against South Carolina that he had in the season. He's lined up against Xavier Leggett from South Carolina a lot. And that dude is six foot three, 227 pounds. And he is just a crazy athlete for his size. And yet you see a guy like Lassiter play pretty fearless against him. And in fact, there were a couple of plays where there were a couple of jump balls where they just throw it up to Leggett and Laster is all in his face and made a couple of, uh, of incompletions out of it. So to me, over testing is going to be huge for Laster. Like if he can really hit some benchmarks and testing, he can, I think he can be a first round corner, but I, I feel as though it's more going to be him being a second round guy. He's still a really solid uh, corner from that Georgia lineage. Like, uh, like Tony was mentioned. All right, Tony, I want to jump on a couple other guys here. You have third-round grades on. Denzel Burke from Ohio State, who he's kind of the opposite of Kalen King for me. I did not like his tape last year. I thought he got better towards the end of last season, but I think he's really carried that over this year. And I think he's played really, really well. I think he's going to rise a little bit here as we move forward. And I'm a big fan of Cooper DeJean out of Iowa. I think he's a good good ball production, good special teams player, obviously a return guy. Uh, I like both those players an awful lot. John, I mean, just an amazing athlete. I mean, an incredible athlete who uh, has come up big as both the return specialist and the uh, cornerback this year at uh, this past season for Iowa. I think he still needs a little bit of work on his ball skills as far as making plays with his back to the ball. Burke has been consistent. I, I mean, Burke never really stood out to me as someone who was great, but he's been very consistent throughout his Ohio State career. And uh, as we, you know, we talked about with Alabama, Ohio State is consistently putting solid corners into the NFL and into the NFL draft. I think there's a lot to like with Burke. I think Dijon, if he really irons out his game, he's got tremendous upside. He, just based on his athleticism alone, his size, his speed, I, I mean, he's got big-time potential. He's got that upside, but he's got he's got a bit of growing to do at the position. Yeah, Dijon is um, – it, it, I mean, he is – such a good football player, man. I, you know, he plays outside corner right now for Iowa, but like Tony mentioned, he's a little uncomfortable with his back to the ball. They don't ask him to play that a lot. He's, he's a, their scheme is very off coverage cover three type of a scheme. And so you don't really get to see, and, and that's kind of disappointing because Dijon is, is 
six foot one, 207 pounds, you go, all right, you got the measurables to play press coverage, like go up and be physical with guys at the line of scrimmage. And I also think he's a good enough athlete to be able to do it. Iowa just doesn't ask him to do it a ton. Now, I think that for as great of a straight line athlete as he is, sometimes it takes him a little longer to get up to that top speed just because he is a bigger player. But I can't help but wonder what Cooper DeJean would be in the Antoine Winfield Jr. role, where he gets to play free safety and be a ball-hawking, instinctual free safety like we have seen him be on in off coverage at Iowa, but then also allow him to be a slot defender, come down and be a slot defender like Antoine Winfield Jr. does against bigger guys, against tight ends. You know, these teams that will play their tight ends a lot in the slot. So it's kind of a projected role because he does not play that right now. He plays that outside cornerback spot, but he is just such a good athlete. I have a hard time thinking that a player of his caliber is getting out of the second round because of everything that you would be able to do with him on the back end. Your thoughts on Burke, Trev, real quick? Yeah, I think that Burke, I agree with you, John. I, I watched Burke last year and it was... Not my favorite watch, I'll say. I, th- I think his his true freshman season, he he played decent in the amount that he was able to go out there. And then last season, it was a struggle. Now, I think he was beat up a little bit. And so I kind of was like, okay, injuries could go into this because he did get, get better as the year went on in 2022. This year, he just looks more confident. He looks more comfortable. I don't think he's a first-round type of a corner, but he is somebody who I think could be a starting caliber corner at the NFL level, a CB2, a CB3, something like that. I do think that he has that ability, and this has been his best year so far, and the consistency has been key, like Tony said. All right, I'll give both you guys a chance to bring up any other cornerback prospect you want that really has jumped out to you. One or two guys. Trevor, why don't you go first? Okay, so... uh, Man, only one or two guys. I've watched so many corners and I like them. I'll shout out TJ Tampa from uh from from, from Iowa State. This dude, you talk about bigger corners, six foot two, 205 pounds. He's got the length, but he's also got that confidence. He moves pretty damn well for a player of his size. You know, naturally, when you'll watch a corner that is a bigger size, sometimes you go, Oh, he doesn't move nearly as well. Well, okay, are you comparing a six foot two guy's movement skills to a five foot nine, five foot ten? Because there's a difference. They just physically have less body to move, to flip the hips, to move. And that is important for playing corner. But I think for his size, it's important to remember. Tampa is athletic enough, and I think he's got great ball skills too. So those long arms that he has, you know, it is, it's kind of like that Tyreek Woolen thing. He's not the athlete that Tyreek Woolen is, but he's one of those players where, man, he's got those long vines to him where that ball's anywhere near him. He's going to be able to contest it because he can get his arms up in there. So Iowa State's TJ Tampa, if you like longer length corners, he's going to be a guy that you like in this class. How about you, Tone? Well, two guys. And the first one isn't, he doesn't jump off the charts. He jumps off the film at me, uh, off the screen at me at times. That would be Max Melton of Rutgers. And you don't know what you get with Max Melton. Two years ago, when he was a, uh, when he was a sophomore, he looked like, wow, this guy's going to be a first round pick. Did not play well in 2022. He's up and down. I mean, he's got great measurables. He's going to be about six foot two, over 200 pounds. He's more athletic than his older brother, Bo Melton, if you remember how he tested at the combine a few years ago. He's just got so much upside and so much so much great potential, which he shows on occasion. So Max Melton is going to be a guy that's going to be interesting to watch through the process. He may be a guy that's drafted, overdrafted, much goes much earlier than people think because of those measurables, because of the size, because of the athleticism and what he's done in the past. Another guy I got to mention, I'm glad to see he's finally rounding back into shape is Tyke Smith of Georgia. Started off at West Virginia, transferred to Georgia. 
was a phenomenal cornerback when he was at West Virginia, came to Georgia, got injured, uh, missed a lot of playing time the past two seasons, starting to get it back to where he was when he had that great season at uh, West Virginia. He's got four interceptions this year, 31 uh, tackles. Uh, he's going to be a late-round pick, but he's a guy who, before his injury, really showed top 100 potential. Trev, before we get to the safety, what's your overall take on the DB class, cornerback safety? Compare the, the quality, the depth, top, Go through the gamut for both those spots, this class compared to maybe classes the last few years that fans are familiar with. Yeah, I think it's a really good class. I think there's, and and just overall, I think a lot of the premium positions, quarterback, offensive tackle, edge rusher, and then corner as well, you can throw that in there. They're pretty strong in this year's class. So you might have, you know, some people who say like, ah, I got, you know, two first round grades on corners. But even if you do, there's probably a lot of names that you have littered around your your day two range. But I think you'll also start to talk to people who maybe like four corners, five corners potentially in the first round. And so like the talent is there. It's just kind of the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And then for the safety class, you know, I don't know if there's this surefire got to have them safety that's going to be really coveted within the top 20. But I know we'll get to some names coming up. I, I think there's a handful of safeties that can certainly be starters at the NFL level. And we don't always get that every single year. So there's at least traits and players to bet on in both categories. So it would make for at least a really exciting year for people to follow and get to know these names as they see where they end up getting drafted. All right. So let's go to safety, Tony. You don't have a first or second round grade on a safety yet. No, not yet. I, and I mean, I think that's because of the way the college game is being played. I mean, a lot of your safeties are now playing linebacker. They're undersized, uh, uh, basically linebackers. And a lot of, with, with so many three and four receiver sets, you got more corners on the field than you do safety. So the position is really never developed on the college level. And it, then it's projection, uh, you know, on, on Sunday. Who, who are the top guys on your list? Who do you like? I like both of the Miami of Florida kids, James Williams, who is an oversized safety. Actually, he may end up playing a linebacker in the NFL. He's big, he's physical, he's got excellent range. And his teammate, Cameron Kitchens, who really probably has better ball skills, uh, a little bit more sideline to sideline, a guy who's a little bit better over the slot receiver. But again, both of these guys, I think, are late day two selections. Play at the next level, but they're not your prototypical, in my opinion, complete safety no rangy free safeties no guy that's that's going to be consistently no, no brian branches if you will from uh, what we saw on this past draft man uh, james williams is built like like a light defensive end he's like six foot five 220 pounds out there so wow. you talk about box safeties guys playing more at the linebacker level he is somebody who you, you know i kind of want that from him but I, I come away every time i feel like i watch him there are times when he will be really physical. Like if a receiver comes over the middle or if, if he's lined up with a running back, sometimes I've even seen this on like hits on the quarterback, he will blast you. He's got the power, the athleticism to be able to do that. But there are other times where, you know, he's got to do the dirty work, kind of taking on a block, like a pulling guard or something like that, where I don't see that pop. Like I don't see that strength. And it's like, man, I think that I would think more highly of you as a box defender, as a box safety, because he also plays in the slot too. I would think more highly of him if I felt like I got that strength every down, but I, but I don't. And, you know, there are even a, a couple of times in this past game that I was watching uh, against Florida state. It's like, man, you had the ball carrier almost like lined up. You, you had the right pursuit angle. You had him right there. You just kind of didn't decide to go all in on the tackle the way that I felt like you should have. So he is a very talented player. Frustrating one for me, though. I like Camp Kitchens a lot more. I'm, I'm comfortably, I have Kitchens higher than Williams because 
Kinchins does have that versatility where he could play free safety for you. He could play strong safety. He could play in the slot. Um, he does have some free safety ability. I, I think I'm a little higher on his range potential than it sounds like Tony is. What I what I would love to see from Kinchins more is even better anticipation because there are times when and I understand like I'm watching it on the film so it's different when you're going through it in real time but there are so many instances where I go if you just saw that just a split second sooner you're making a play on the ball you're getting an interception or you're you're making a play when the ball gets there and you're probably dislodging it for no catch so he to me has so many he's made a lot of great plays I'm not saying that he hasn't made great plays but he also on top of that has so many almost great plays that that makes me think, hey, more experience from this guy. You get him a really good secondary coach. We could be talking about somebody who's going to be a difference maker. Is Kinchins your top safety in the class, Trev? Yeah, I've, I've still got Kinchins as my top safety. I can't wait to see how he tests because there are some times when I watch him go sideline to sideline, I go, okay, you opened it up there a little bit. You got you got some deep speed to you. But then there are other times when I'm like, man, I thought you I thought you would have had that. I thought I thought I I could have seen you make an impact on the ball on that play. So how he tests athletically, I think is going to be huge because like Tony mentioned, there's not a ton of guys that you feel great about when it comes to that center fielder single high athleticism. There's one that I think that we'll talk about that I'm not worried about, but everybody else is kind of a question mark until we get to the combine. Tony, you have seven other safeties with third round grades here. So I'm just going to leave the table open. Which which one of these guys do you really want to feature? And you would talk about that, that you really think are interesting. Hit as many of them as you want. Well, let, let's go with Trevor. I want to hear that one guy that he's really excited to talk, talk about. Take it, Trevor. I I think that Kalen Bullock, the safety from USC, is the only one that I'm not really worried about at all when it comes to a free safety role. Now, he is rail thin and he he's so he's got to gain weight and he's got to gain strength. He's got to play a lot better because in run defense, his numbers, he's got too many missed tackles. The run defense grades over the last couple of years are way lower than you need to be for a safety type of a player to take the word literally. But there are so many instances where he's going opposite hash all the way to the sideline to make an impact on the ball where you just go, whoa, okay, this this guy's got legit range to him. So the athletic ability is not something that I'm worried about with Bullock, but I am worried about does he make too many mistakes tackling in a run defense to even get on the field the way that you would want him to be to get to play those single high situations. So he's the one guy that I'm not really worried about at all when it comes to the athleticism, but it's not a perfect prospect uh, in terms of rounding out his entire game. And he was the third guy on Tony's list, by the way, Tony. Yeah, very athletic. I think he's got some ability to play over the slot receiver on occasion, decent ball skills. As Trevor was pointing out, you know, great speed, great range, but you know, unpolished. I like Jaden Hicks of Washington state, same, uh, same conference, a much bigger guy, very explosive, very quick. Uh, really shows the ability to blow up the ball handler, decent ball skills facing the action. Tyler Newbin, guy who went back for a second senior season when he could have entered last year's draft, uh, or this past April's draft, I should say. Uh, You know, a guy who's very good in all areas, but doesn't stand out in any single aspect. I think he's more Tyler Newbin. I don't know if he's a sideline to sideline safety as opposed to a downhill guy, a guy that you're going to play in his own system. And and that's Andrew Makuba. Of Clemson, he's got decent traits, but again, you know, not your prototypical, not your complete safety. Makuba, again, is he a sideline to sideline guy? I don't think so. Again, I think he's better facing the action, more in a zone system, downhill type of uh, safety. 
I, I, I love that you that you shouted out Jaden Hicks. He was one of my favorite surprises that I had during summer scouting. And um, I, I was doing a little background information on I'm reading some stories. And uh, I, I read a quote from him where his freshman season at Washington State, he played. I don't want to sound too harsh here, but like he played so poorly and not impactfully. Like he he even says in the interview, I doubted whether or not I could play at the Pac-12 level. He's like, wow. I didn't even know if I was talented enough to play at this level. But I think that didn't turn into more self-doubt. It turned into motivation for him. And that sophomore season in 2022, you saw him not only be a much better playmaker, but a much better anticipator and communicator. He's yelling things out. It's just a very young player to the rest of his defense. You can tell that he was anticipating where the ball was going. That has only continued in this year. So really smart football player. I love the shout out there. Um, Makuba, I kind of feel the same way. Uh, uh, that, that you do is, is more of a downhill guy. Newbin, I like Newbin a good amount, but I do feel as though he needs to be in primarily a two deep safety system. Like I know that he has played single high free safety before because he can anticipate really well. That works at the Big Ten college level. I don't think he's that type of athlete to be able to play those roles consistently at the NFL level, but he is smart. He anticipates well. He's got good ball skills, and I think he's a reliable downhill defender. So I agree with you on the role there. I think that he's got to be more of a two-safety system more than a like cover three. We're playing a lot of single high free safety stuff. I don't think you necessarily want him to do that. All right, final thing for you, Trev. We've, I know we've gone a little over here, a lot of stuff to talk about. Just give me one or two other safeties that you really like. Uh, they don't have to be early picks. They can be later picks, guys that you've kind of watched that you're like, all right, this guy's got a little something that I really like. Yeah, okay, I'll, th I'll throw out two really quick. Rod Moore from Michigan, I, I liked a decent amount going into the season. Uh, he missed a good amount of time going into the year, so we've really got to see him warm up. We've got some really big games for Michigan to play, I think, throughout the stretch of the season. So he has a chance to kind of climb the safety room. And then somebody that uh, I kind of got on recently is uh, is Billy Bowman Jr. from Oklahoma. I think he's a little boomer bust right now, but he is one of those playmakers on the back end where – if he's been given the room in coverage, he's been pretty impactful or at least has a handful of plays that he's getting interceptions or he's cutting off a route, making a big hit on a tight end like he did to Jatavian Sanders in that Texas game. And so he's just, to me, he's got that playmakers mentality. It's not totally consistent right now. And, and you do need to see a little bit more of it, but I love the way that he sees the game. And so he's still making mistakes, but I just love that playmaker mentality that he has. Tony, I'll give you the final word. You can do safeties or anything else you want to get off your chest before we say goodbye. I, I'm going to give you one guy, one safety, Malik Mustafa of, of Wake Forest. This is a guy who, when I watched him, I watched the 2022 film, everyone talks about the cornerback Carson. This was a guy that was constantly around the ball, making plays against the pass, stuffing the run, 5'10", 206 pounds. He's got great instincts. I, I mean, the guy knows what's going to happen before it even happens. Doesn't have any mental letdowns on the field. You know, when we had Bruce Feldman on one of the first shows of the season, he said that Mustafa is going to test through the roofs. I think through the roof. I think Mustafa is going to be a guy who's going to be underdrafted. And then in the, during the 2024 season, people are going to wonder why this guy wasn't a top 45 selection. All right, Trevor, tell the folks where they can find all the stuff you're doing. 
Uh, NFL Stock Exchange, you shouted out the NFL Stock Exchange podcast. We're not only audio, but we're also on video on YouTube as well for anybody that uh, takes in a lot of their content in video format. And then, of course, PFF.com. We, we've got the big board that we're updating all the time. And if you want to make the mock drafts, of course, the mock draft simulator that we have there. So uh, just get, keep checking back in on that one. And we're adding names to it all the time so you guys can have as much fun on the mock as possible. Tony, Trev, this is a lot of fun, boys. Happy scouting rest of the way. Appreciate it. For Trevor, for Tony, I'm John Strong. Thanks for being with us on Draft Season. We'll see you next time, everybody. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.